Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good evening. I'm Pastor Matt. I'd love to invite you to take your Bible or your Bible app and open with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 15, Exodus chapter 15. And while you're turning there, I want to begin by telling a story uh, from our life and from our daughter's life, our oldest daughter. Uh, it happened a number of years ago, about 15 years ago, because she was two years old and now she's 17. We were on our way across Ohio on I-70, and Katie, as a two-year-old, already recognized Cracker Barrel signs. She knew that Cracker Barrel means biscuits. She couldn't say a whole lot, but she knew Cracker Barrel meant biscuits. And so we were going across I-70, and of course, I'm trying to make good time and get good gas mileage. And she sees the Cracker Barrel sign, and she asks, she bows her head, she folds her hands, and she begins to pray. She says, dear Jesus, thank you for the biscuits. Amen. And I knew that was her way of praying that we could stop at Cracker Barrel. Even though I had told her no over and over and over again, I realized at that moment, if I didn't stop, God would like blow the tires on my car. I had to stop. And so that night we ate at Cracker Barrel. Now kids, when they're little and they're hungry and you're traveling and they're complaining, they can be quite cute. Maybe it's because I don't remember a whole lot because our kids are a little older now, but they can be quite cute. But those of us who are older kids, it's not quite so cute when we complain. It's not quite so cute when we get tired and hungry and grumpy and grouchy. And so tonight I'm going to tell the true story of over 3,000 years ago of a group of people who were traveling from one location to the next, and they were tired, they were hungry, they were thirsty, and they were complaining. Now, as I tell this story, let me invite you not to think about the person who needs this sermon the most sitting on your seat or sitting on your row or in your family or in your home, but I'm gonna ask you to think about yourself. Try to find your place in the story and ask the Lord, Lord, where am I in this story of complainers? Now, why is this message so important? Why would I preach on this particular passage as we journey through the book of Exodus? Why is complaining something that we need to address? Well, I believe it's because the number one theme in the New Testament is our unity with Christ. It's our unity with Christ. Secondarily, the secondary theme of the New Testament is our unity with one another. And so, Paul over and over again, Peter over and over again, John over and over again, address the important issue of us not griping and complaining and murmuring and groaning, but instead that we be the people who pursue peace. If you're taking notes, there's a few verses here on the screen that I'd like to show you. We'll begin with Romans chapter 16, verses 17 and 18. Notice the language that he uses for people who gripe and complain and cause division. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who cause divisions. Keep away from them, for such people are not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. Philippians 2, 13 and 14. God tells us, it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure. Children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars 
in the sky. James 1, 26, those who consider themselves religious, think of this, and do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. I didn't say that. God said that in his word. Ephesians chapter four, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the spirit of God. There's someone there when we're griping and complaining. Even if we think nobody else is there, the Lord is there and we grieve his spirit. James 5, 9, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Matthew chapter five, Jesus said these words. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I think we all would take a vote that it's wrong to murder. But Jesus said, I'm telling you that anyone who so much as is angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Goes on, carelessly, if you call a brother idiot, you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly, if you yell stupid at a sister and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. That comes directly from Jesus. And it even applies to social media. Matthew chapter five and verse 18 says, but the things that come out of a person's mouth come from the heart and these defile them. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, but there's not a period there. It's a comma and slander. He goes on to say in 1 Timothy chapter two and verse eight, in every place of worship, Paul said, I want men to pray with holy hands, lifted up to God, free from anger and free from controversy. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 14 and 15. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Keep a sharp eye out for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time. We're getting the idea that this is important to God. This is just, a, this is just a, a small part of all that the New Testament says. Two more, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter three. But mark this, Paul warns Timothy, there will be a terrible times in the last days, when I believe we're living in the last days. There'll be terrible times. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, there it is again, without self-control, brutal, lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness, but denying its power, have nothing to do with such people. And then 1 Corinthians chapter nine, if you're taking notes, references the story I'm about to tell. In 1 Corinthians chapter nine, God gives a sober warning. He said, we should not test Christ as some of them did and were killed by snakes 
You can read about it in the book of Numbers. And do not grumble as some of them did and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings to us. Here's my prayer tonight. My prayer is that we will heed these warnings to us. My prayer is that you'll look for your place in the story, whether you be a child, a student, a a young adult, whether you're a middle-aged adult or a senior saint, whether you be married or single, a teacher or a preacher, a missionary or retired missionary, a plumber or electrician, a doctor or a lawyer. My prayer is that you'll find your place in this story like I've had to find my place in this story. Thankfully, the Bible speaks to complaining. And so in this next few minutes, I'm not gonna just tell you that complaining is bad. I think we all would agree complaining is bad. But I'm gonna share with you how we grapple with grumbling, how we combat complaining. There's actually four ways, and we'll move quickly in a moment. I'll share those. Let's go ahead and dive into the journey. The particular story that we're gonna take a glimpse of happened again about 3,400 years ago, and it happened out of Egypt, across the desert, on the northeast peninsula of the Red Sea. We call it the Gulf of Aqaba. Here is a map, and we'll have this posted on our social media this week. Here's a map of where uh, many scholars, where my particular opinion of where they crossed the Red Sea, we don't know for sure, uh, but this map really helps me. So the children of Israel leave Egypt. They cross somewhere, the Sinai Peninsula, We don't know where they crossed the Red Sea, but most likely it was around the middle of the Gulf of Aqaba. Mount Sinai is over here. And so we know that they've already experienced four or five big miracles by the time they get to this point. One miracle, they were able to leave Egypt after the 10 plagues. The second miracle, they crossed the Red Sea by God's gracious deliverance. A third miracle, God killed the Egyptian army behind them. A fourth act of grace, they're on the seashore. They've just seen the army of Egypt get swallowed and they start into this beautiful worship service that we talked about last week in Exodus 15. They've worshiped the Lord. But after they cross the Red Sea, it's been about a three-day journey from here to here and they're out of water. Their flasks are empty. Their canteens are empty. Their Gatorade squeeze bottles are empty. Their hydro flasks are empty. And they begin to grumble and complain. Exodus 15 and verse 24 says, so the people grumbled against Moses saying, what are we to drink? Moses gives them specific instructions. He prays to the Lord. God tells Moses exactly what to do, and God provides water for his people. You can read all about it at the end of Exodus 15. He leads them to a place of 12 springs, and and so they have water, and their, their thirst is quenched, but then something happens. They realize how hungry they are. Have you ever been mowing grass or working in the yard and you're thirsty? You don't want anything to eat. You're so thirsty. And you come in and you get a big drink and then maybe several hours later, all of a sudden the hunger sets in. At times like that, I just want to eat an entire large pizza all by myself. So they're hungry. And we read about that story in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus 16 two says that in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. 
the Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, there we sat around the pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. In Exodus chapter 16 and verse eight, if you wanna make a note of that, God says they actually weren't grumbling against Moses and Aaron, but they were actually grumbling against the Lord himself. But even though they didn't deserve his grace, I love how God responds. Exodus 16 is the story of how God provided manna in the wilderness for the people of Israel. You say, what exactly is manna? Well, there's several places in the Bible that tell us what manna is. It's, in short, it's bread. But in Exodus 16, 14, it says it was thin flakes of bread like frost. Manna was thin flakes of bread like frost. So my childish mind thinks of it like this. This is how I envision manna, right? Some of us love this cereal. So maybe it was like this. Actually, though, if you're taking notes, it says in Psalm 78, 25, that it's, it was the bread of angels. It was literally angel food. And so perhaps in some way, God removed the veil and allowed whatever we're gonna eat in heaven to be eaten by the children of Israel. So if it was the food of angels, the book of Numbers tells us that it tasted like it had been baked in fine oil. I kind of picture it like this. If Chick-fil-A and Krispy Kreme had a baby, that's probably what manna tasted like, right? It tasted absolutely amazing. So they received this gift of God and God provided the manna. I didn't know it until this week. I've had all the Old Testament classes in seminary and somehow it slipped my mind. I didn't realize that God had provided for every single day they were in the wilderness. For 40 years, God provided manna. I didn't realize that. It's a beautiful truth and yet they still complained. That brings us to the next and last chapter. Exodus 17 and verse two says, they still complained. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty again for water and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Let me ask you just for a moment, can you relate to any of their grumbling and complaining? I wanna ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder as you're thinking there right now, or as you're thinking about your last week, was there any grumbling or griping or complaining that, that you did and now the Lord is bringing it back to your mind? I hope so. Because you see, that's the way the Lord loves us. That's the way the Lord shepherds us. As I'm meditating on this passage, I'm thinking about all the different ways that my griping and complaining takes place. It may not always be overt and just outright. Now I'm going to complain. But sometimes we get to the place that we feel as though God has gypped us, as though somehow, some way, God hasn't been fair to us and we get angry and we get mad that's all the same thing. It's called grumbling or complaining. Psalm 95, Psalm 95 and Hebrews chapter three, both talk about the story that I'm sharing tonight. And in both passages, we find that they had forgotten the grace of God. What's the big point? What's the big idea of today's message? What's the main point? The main point is simply this. The less we understand grace, 
the more we'll grumble. But the more we understand grace, the less we'll grumble. The less we understand grace, the more we'll grumble. But the more we understand grace, the less we'll grumble. The children of Israel had forgotten the grace of God. They had forgotten the Red Sea experience. They had forgotten how God drowned the army of Egypt. They had forgotten about how the Lord had brought them out of Egypt through the 10 plagues. They had already forgotten about their worship service, and it's in the same chapter. Chapter 15 is a glorious worship service. By the time you get to verse 22, they've already forgotten about it. If you're like me, have you ever done this? You come to church, you sing worship. We raise a hallelujah. Man, we sing, we praise God, we worship, and three hours later, no, three minutes, three minutes later, all of a sudden we find something to grumble and complain about. Why do we do that? It's because the less we understand grace, the more we'll grumble. But the more we understand grace, the less we'll grumble. Think about all that the Lord has done for you. Think about the gospel the gospel is the story that God creates. God creates. God made all things. Yes, life is hard. Yes, this world is imperfect. But God has given so many gifts to us called common grace in life. Sunny days, blue skies, warm afternoons, good food, good friends, good family. God has given us so much grace. He's given us baseball. For some of us, that's, that's a beautiful thing. God creates, but sin breaks. Sin breaks. This world is broken because of Adam's sin, and this world is broken because of our sin. We don't need to look any farther than our own hearts to know that we are broken. Not only do we struggle keeping God's laws, but you know, if we're honest, we often struggle even keeping our own laws. We have rules and guidelines that we hold others to, and we have expectations that we put on others. And I find at times I even have a hard time fulfilling the expectations that I put on other people. We are broken internally, and the world is broken around us. God says all of creation groans because of sin. Sin breaks, but thankfully Jesus saves. Thankfully Jesus saves. The book of Galatians says that in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a virgin, to be born under the law, to redeem us from the law. In other words, God stepped in to save those who couldn't save themselves. Jesus saves, but Jesus also transforms. Those of us who are followers of Jesus can testify that we are still on the journey. We are still growing. We are still uh, becoming more like Jesus every day. But I want to encourage you, if you're wondering whether or not you should put your faith in Jesus, I encourage you, it is worth it. He will begin to change you into the image of Jesus Christ until one day you step on shore and you, you can see him face to face. And then in that moment, God will restore all things. There's coming a day God is going to restore all things a new heaven, a new earth, and wipe every tear from our eyes. Think about what God has, if you're saved, you will never be condemned for one of your sins. Let that sink in for a moment. That makes the Red Sea look like a, a puddle in the backyard. 
But God has given us his grace. And the less we understand grace, the more we'll grumble. But the more we understand grace, the less we'll grumble. So how do we remind ourselves of grace? Really, this is in closing. But I want to encourage you to think about these four things. They're very quick. They're very easy to remember. And they go like this. Look up. If you're taking notes, look up. Look down. Look forward. Look back. That's something we all can remember this week. Look up. Look down. Look forward. And look back. What do you mean by by look up? Well, the first way that we can resist the urge to complain is by looking up to see the grace of God. This is what the Lord did uh, through for Israel. He reminded them to get their eyes off themselves and to look up at him. We see it in Exodus 15. Exodus 15, the Lord said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, you, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. That was a promise specifically to Israel. That's not a promise to the church, but the call to the church is still to look at God. God invites us to get our eyes off ourselves. Exodus 16, verse 11, the Lord said to Moses, then you will know that I am the Lord, your God. We look up to see the grace of God. Now, why did I start with looking up? Well, of course, I want us to look to the source of all grace. You know, we as Christians talk a lot about grace, but have you ever stopped to ask yourself, what is grace? What is grace? And if we ask other Christians at times, what is grace? We're we're tempted to respond this way. If we're asked, we might say, well, grace is free. All right, that's good. Grace is free. Um, Free what? Well, it's a free gift. Okay, it's a free gift. What's the gift? Well, it's a free gift of forgiveness. Well, that's not grace. That's a product of grace, but forgiveness is not equal to grace. Well, okay, it's a free gift of God's strength or enabling. There's all these little definitions we put in. Tonight, I just want to go ahead and clear the air once and for all. What is grace? If you're taking notes, it's this. Grace is God's self-giving. Grace is God's self-giving. Yes, when you put your faith in Jesus, you got forgiveness. Yes, when you put your faith in Jesus, you got strength. But the greatest thing you got when you put your faith in Jesus was Jesus himself. That's the whole reason God saved us to give us himself. This is why it tells us in Philippians 3.10, Paul says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. John 17.3, Jesus said that his ultimate desire for our salvation was that we might know God. So look up. If you're tempted this week to complain, look up and see God's grace. Secondly, look down and see God's grace. Look down. By down, I just mean look at your feet. Look at where the Lord has placed you. And let's all this week take a second and thank the Lord for no matter how hard our circumstances are, let's thank the Lord that we are where we are. This is what God did from Moses and the people of Israel. Exodus chapter 16 and verse six. So Moses and Aaron said to the Israelites, in the evening you will know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. This was God's way to tell the people of Israel, remember where you are. You are where you are for a reason. You're going through what you're going through for a reason. It is the Lord who brought you there. 
And in the short time that we have, we won't take all the time to ask, well, what role does the devil play or what role does the world play? That's a whole nother conversation. But what we can know is that God is sovereign. And where you sit in life and where you stand in life and where you suffer in life is not by accident. The Lord has a purpose for you. And so when you look down at your life, you can, you can say what Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can say that godliness with contentment is great gain. So look down at your life sometimes. This week, say, Lord, thank you for putting me where you've put me. Look up, look down. But number three, look forward. Look forward to see God's grace. Look forward to see God's grace. You can look up all the references yourself every week now in your notes on the app and on the website. You're gonna see a, a plethora of references. I want, I want us going deeper this summer, going deeper this fall in God's word. But look forward to see God's grace. In Exodus 16 and verse 32, the Lord does something to get the people of Israel looking forward. At the end of chapter 16, he tells them to take a handful of manna put it in a jar, and then later he's gonna tell them to take that jar and put it in the Ark of the Covenant. And the reason he tells them to do that in Exodus 16, verse 32 to 35, is he says, so that all future generations can know of my grace. That all future generations can know of my grace. And so here the people of Israel are, they're complaining, they're struggling, just like you and me struggle and complain. And so God has told them to look up and now God has told them to look down. And now God is taking their eyes to the horizon. And he says, look forward at what I have prepared for you and your people in the future. This is the same thing at Romans chapter eight and verse 28 says, he says, all things work together for good to them who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. I had lunch with Pastor Richard, Pastor Richard Thompson yesterday. And man, I guess right now in his devotions, he's in like Romans 8, because all he wanted to talk about was Romans 8. And I'm like, man, can you talk about something else? You know, man, like, you know, let's talk about baseball. No, I'm just kidding. But he just wanted to talk about, and he was just passionate about how that all things, Matt, all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He was about that passionate and no Charlie's too. 2 Corinthians 4 says our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Here's something we can remember or write down. If we knew what God had in store for us, we would never complain again. If we knew what God had in store for us, we would never complain again. This is what Jesus did in John 6. In John 6, uh, we've all heard the story, the true story of Jesus taking the five loaves and the two fishes and feeding the multitudes with it. But what I didn't know until this week that, is that John 6 is actually Jesus doing a reenactment of Exodus 16. You can read it for yourself this week. But in John chapter 6, Jesus takes the bread and he feeds the multitudes. And then he looks at the bread and he says, I am the bread of life. And then John quotes from Exodus and the people start to grumble. Jesus was the new Moses. Jesus was saying, the same is happening to you, what they did to Moses 1,400 years ago. And to get people's eyes off of themselves, even after they had full bellies and started to grumble, Jesus concludes that chapter with these words in verse 47. He says, very truly I tell you, the one who believes in me has eternal life. When you're grumbling, 
Just think about eternal life. Eternal life can be a cure for what ails us. I believe it was Martin Luther who once said, there's nothing wrong with me that a good resurrection can't fix. Let's look forward. And then let's look back. Finally and lastly, we'll look back to see the grace of God. Something happens at the end of this story that we can't bypass. For the people of Israel, they were looking future, but for us, it's an event that happened in the past. And so when I describe it to you, you'll see what I mean. But I wanna encourage you to look back to see God's grace. The Israelites in chapter 17 have essentially put God on trial. The language of Exodus 17 verses one through seven is it's trial, lawyer, judicial language. So you've got the people of Israel in verse five on one side, and in verse six of Exodus 17, you've got God on the other side. The people are accusing God of being unfair. I mean, they're bold. They're, they're bold. They, they're not atheists. They know God exists. They're just accusing them of being unfair. And so God comes down to the part of the mountain of Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and he's right above a rock. I don't know what, how this looked, how this appeared. Somehow or another, he was in the cloud because the people couldn't see his face. But you've got God on one side, right above this rock at the base of Mount Sinai, you've got the people of Israel over here complaining, 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 actually complaining at God. And you've got Moses in the middle with his staff. Now, so far in the book of Exodus, we've seen Moses do some incredible things with that. He, he parted the water of the Red Sea. He brought the plagues. And so when you read Exodus 17, you are wondering if God is gonna tell Moses to strike him dead. They deserved it. And God begins to speak. And one of the first words out of his mouth was the word strike. So picture anybody who had any common sense is thinking, these people need to be quiet. We're all gonna die. God's gonna kill us. He says, I, I want you to strike. But then the next words out of God's mouth would have surprised the people. In verses six and seven of Exodus 17, he says, strike the rock upon which I stand. Strike the rock. Essentially, he was saying, strike me, strike where I am. And so Moses, you can just picture Moses is like, okay, if you, you want me to, you're not gonna strike me dead. And so Moses strikes the rock where God is standing. And remember what comes out of the rock. Exodus 17, seven, waters gush out of the rock. And as I'm reading it this week, I'm thinking about Sunday school pictures that I saw as a child of, you know, like a little couple gallons of water coming out of the rock. And it just occurred to me this week, these are millions of people. This water would have had to gush out like a river. This water would have had to feed the millions and all of their livestock. This was like the Mississippi River on steroids. It gushed out of the rock. Now think with me for a minute. What does that remind you of? Where else in our history has there been a time when the people over here deserve to be struck by God. But when can you remember a time when God stepped in and instead says, I know they deserve to be struck, but instead, I want you to strike me. Can you think of a time when that ever happened? It was 2,000 years ago on a little mountain outside of Jerusalem called Calvary. Jesus said, strike me. 
I'll take the punishment so you can have the waters of everlasting life. That's what Paul meant in 1 Corinthians or 1st, 2nd Corinthians chapter, or 1st Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1, he says, For I do not want you to be ignorant of this fact, brothers and sisters. He's talking to the church. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this fact that our ancestors were all under the cloud and that they passed through the sea. He's talking about Exodus again. He says, Don't be ignorant of this. They all ate the same spiritual food and they drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock was whom? Christ. Moses says, if you want to catch a glimpse of what you have in Jesus, just look at the rock. It symbolizes, it typifies, gives us a glimpse of the blessings we have in Christ. So I urge you, brothers and sisters, if this week you feel the compulsion to complain, when I feel the temptation to complain, look up. Just look up. God, you're great. God, you're our healer. You're our savior. Look up. Look down. Lord, I I may not be where I want to be in life, but I'm not where I used to be. And you've led me all the way. Look down. Look forward. There's nothing wrong in life that a good resurrection can't fix. Look forward. But then I want to urge you lastly, look back. Look back at the cross of Christ, because that's what it's all about anyway. You say, Pastor Matt, why do you want us to do these four things? Why have you encouraged us to look up and look down and look forward, look back? The reason is simple. The less we understand grace, the more we'll grumble. But the more we understand grace, the less we'll grumble. Let me bow with you and let's pray and let's ask God to help us with this this week. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your grace that we don't deserve. It truly is amazing. And so I pray that you would help Bible Center Church to continue its heritage, but more than ever to be about Jesus. And that in this transition time, as we by your grace emerge from a pandemic, I pray that you would help us all to look up, to look down, to look forward, and to look back. Make us a people of the cross. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. You can also join us in person for services on Thursday at 7 p.m. or Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m.